All right, so let's, um, let's get into the word, shall we? Um, if you want to turn to Acts 19, I'm going to be um, just talking through the verses of Acts 19. And um, I would love just to frame this time that we have um, together this morning to um, look at what the scriptures say and really put the word revival under a microscope this morning. I would love for us to look at this, whether you've read Acts 19 before um, or this is the first time, I would love it for us as Life Church Bath this morning, whether you're here or you're watching online or listening to the podcast, that we could start again with the word revival and actually look to what the scriptures say of what happens when the Holy Spirit doesn't only just fall on the church, but what it looks like when it falls on an entire city at the same time. So strap your seatbelts on. You know, just to also say revival could be described as this, uh, the awakening or the quickening of God's people to their true nature and purpose. Let me say that again. It's the awakening or quickening of God's people to their true nature and purpose. It's a divine season where God openly manifests the rule and reign of his son by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and release of apostolic teaching. It's a snapshot of the coming day when the heavens are rent and God's, God comes down dismantling powers of darkness and loosening Satan's hold over the earth. It drives men, women, and children back to God, and revival is heaven's onslaught against every system and structure that is in opposition to Jesus. Sounds good, doesn't it? So when we say, kingdom of God come, everyone just say, kingdom of God come, that is what we are releasing over the earth. That is what we are releasing and there are four things um, through these scriptures that I, wanna, I want us just to look at. And I'm going to tell you what the four are. The dedication to the word of God. The unusual miracles that happen. Eyes opening. Number three, eyes opening to the spiritual battle that we are in. And number four, repentance and discipleship. And before that, let's pray. And I'm going to pray Actually, it's a bit strange because we're sort of doing verses 1 to 20, and I'm going to read you verse 20 as our prayer. So the word of the Lord continue to increase and prevail mightily. Another translation says, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Father, this morning, may those words happen to us today. Father, that not only would your word spread, but also your body of people grow in power this morning. Holy Spirit, we cannot do it without you. We don't want to do it without you. And we acknowledge that it is you, Lord, that does this. But it takes us, a body, to humble ourselves before you to say, Lord, we will do whatever it takes and whatever it costs to be that in this time. So, Father, would you move on our hearts this morning? Father, there is nothing hidden before you. And we acknowledge that the word of the Lord is like a two-edged sword and it cuts between soul and spirit. And we ask you to cut us this morning with your words. 
Amen. So the very first part of this 19 is amazing because Maria did such an amazing job leading us this morning because she actually said the first part of this verse is that a chapter is that Paul is again on on mission and there's going to be many things that we've read before and it's happening again but here he encounters a group of believers that have not heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit they knew the baptism of John the Baptist, but this is the moment where Paul is now finding believers that have not yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, as, and just exactly what Maria said, and I'm going to say it today, and, and if you look back for all the messages we've gone through, even from Acts 2 and onwards, the Holy Spirit is alive today and wants to fill every single one of you this morning. And if you have not had a baptism of the Holy Spirit this morning, we're going to give an opportunity for you to come and receive prayer. And if you are have, but you would like more, we're going to fill, we're going to fill you up this morning because this is part of who we are as kingdom people. Amen. So um, that's verses one to seven. But, and so if you want to read that in your own time, you can, but just for time, I'm going to keep going. But the importance of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay, verse 8. And this is in Ephesus. So this is, this is Paul's account of what happened in the city of Ephesus. Verse 8 says, And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. I said it last week and I said it before. We're probably well-versed now going through, walking through these scriptures. Is that It's like Paul is doing what he does best. We agree? Paul's at it again. He's gone to the synagogue and he is proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He is teaching Jews who the Messiah is. And again, we see then, verse 9, but when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took his disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. So here we recognize that Paul was creating disciples through his teaching, but because of unbelief and stubbornness, the words that he was preaching was not going inside everyone in that synagogue. And that is true for us today. That is still true to everyone who can hear my voice, myself included. If we are stubborn and we are in unbelief, we will not hear the voice of the Lord. We will not hear what the Lord is saying if our heart is hard, if we are stubborn, and now we are trying to tell God what to do. He took the disciples away that were in belief and that were with him in heart, and he preached and he taught them. And this verse 10, this continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greek. Here we have also now a picture of Paul doing what he said to Timothy, which is to 
teach the teachings that I have given you, Timothy, to faithful men who can then go and teach others. Paul did not teach every single person in Asia Minor. This is not um, Asia that we would hear today. This is a Roman province of Asia. But we see that if you were a disciple of Paul, the fruit of that discipleship is that when they went out into the marketplace, when they went out into their everyday life, they were taking the words that Paul was given and they were preaching the kingdom. So here we're now learning that again, and this is not new for any of us, but if you are being discipled, then it is up to you to then disciple someone else. Is that everything that you've been given is not just for you, it's for someone else to spread, to teach, to tell people about what Jesus has done in your life. And we see that this entire region was affected and changed. It said... All the word of the Lord went through across an area and it was Greeks and Jews because of this teaching, because of the faithful teaching of Paul. He was equipping others to do the works of the ministry. Again, quoting what he writes in Ephesians. So when the word of the Lord is preached, church, when it hits hearts that is open, it's seeds that go out into the atmosphere and it is looking for a heart to land in to what? Produce more fruit. So everything that you've been given... Everything that you would say, my faith is at this level, I'm standing on this, I have a foundation of my faith. It's not just for you. It's for someone else too. And then this is when it starts to get really exciting. Verse 11, the sons of Sceva. And before we talk about these sons of Sceva, what we then see is this second part, is that we see that the teaching of God's word was happening through Paul. And then the second is that through the teaching of God's word, here we now have some very unusual miracles going on. Verse 11 said, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. Now, I don't know about you, but if you read that, I always think, well, is he actually sneezing his snot into those handkerchiefs? Like, whoa, 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 this is in the word, guys. I don't know where your mind is going. But there is something about an unusual pattern of miracles, things that happen that get your attention. It's not signs and wonders. It's a sign that makes you wonder, where did this come from? And God is clearly showing the community that he is with them by doing unusual things. Now, here, I'm, I'm now not giving us license to find the crazy and wacky and then to say, because it's so crazy, it must be God. Um, I've seen crazy and it's not been God. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you something, and I believe I've said it before, but where I've seen unusual miracles happen, it's made me wonder. Um, I can tell you that a meeting no different to ours, um, I was in Toronto, it was just 
during a, a gathering of many, many people, and we were singing worship, and we were declaring the word of the Lord, and someone um, who took the microphone had a prophetic word for someone in the room, and they said there are one person or maybe many people who are in this room today, they are struggling with um, a... Um, Uh, and a sickness to their thyroid and the Lord is healing you right now and when the words came out of this person's mouth someone who was maybe four or five rows ahead of me their trousers fell down and it happened to someone else in the room and what happened was that when the word of the Lord was declared the two people whose trousers fell down is that because of the, 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 the sickness of the thyroid, they were carrying weight that shouldn't have been there and the weight disappeared from their body once the word was released. That's pretty unusual. Lord, do it to me. <laughs> but like, I don't have a Bible verse to back that healing up, but I can say that it is unusual. Because, I mean, I read somewhere in the Old Testament, it says the fat is the Lord's. Do you know that verse? Sorry, I'll keep going. I think if we were honest, we can fall into the trap, guys, where we can feel like when we gather and when we meet in our homes for life groups, that we can fall into some, I would say, a sleepiness or or a... uh, what would be the word? James, help me. Mundane. Complacent. Lethargy. Good. Apathy. We can fall into, I believe, a sleep spiritually in our belief where we forget that we worship the God of all power and the God of miracles the God of deliverance, the God of breakthrough, the God that looks at a city and weeps and wants to pour out his spirit to return it back to him. And that every single person in this room has a part to play in that. And that when we, we can overlook the unusual and say, well, hey, well, that happened years ago, but he's not moving today. What was the first thing that Jesus said to his disciples after he had been resurrected and he met them in the room and they were eating? What did he do? Jesus rebuked his followers for unbelief. It says it's the first thing that he did. He rebuked them for forgetting what they had seen God do. And I think when we forget that the Lord is not only with us, he's for us, and that we, are, we have been born today to affect the people, the city, our families, our nation, because of who we know, Jesus. It's why I think it's important that we look back over what God has done, because it releases faith of what he's going to do. Um. Everyone, everyone would be really well known for the, if I was to say the Welsh Revival, it, people here would recognize it. It was in 1904, not, not far away, a man called Evan Roberts. Everyone heard of him? 
You heard of the, the, the story of what happened when the Holy Spirit fell on this man. This is a man who went to Bible school. I think he was 24 years old and he just became overcome with the groans inside of him when he prayed of how he wanted God to move not only on him, but on his town that he lived in, on his nation. And the Lord answered that prayer and the Welsh revival started and it, it changed the world in 1904. I mean, let's talk about the, when the revival fell on this man and his prayer meetings. It changed the whole town. The, it, it changed the town so much that the police had nothing to do because of what God was doing in that town. They no longer were fighting crime because there was no crime. Now what the police job would do was crowd control for whenever the church gathered together. Bars were shut down. One, the, the coal mine production of this Welsh town was affected, okay? And you'll love this to know why it was affected. It's because all the Welsh miners who were being convicted of their sin and they were meeting God in such powerful ways, the fear of the Lord gripped the town. And that people were giving their lives to the Lord in hundreds and thousands. That the Welsh workers who would go into the ground and dig and dig, dig for coal, the coal was carried out by donkeys or ponies. And how they had been communicating to these animals to remove the coal is that they would only use swear words to get them moving. Yeah. And their lives were so transformed by the Lord that they no longer used those words so that the ponies and donkeys had to learn a new language and they didn't know how to operate. And so coal went down in production because the Holy Spirit fell. News was getting out of this revival of this outpouring of the Holy Spirit that in London, the, the Pall Mall Gazette sent a reporter to find out what's going on. And he wrote this, his opening line in his, in his report to a national newspaper across the UK. He said, after he got off the train, he asked someone local to direct him to whatever this thing was. And the man said, Go down to the end of the street, turn left and walk. You will then begin to feel it. Let that sink in. The Lord was doing something over that town so much that the direction was whatever, whoever you were, just walk down that street and you will feel the presence of God. Later on, that reporter was interviewed by what he saw and he said this, the question is not what I think of it, but what it thinks of me and the rest of us. For it is a real thing, this revival, a live thing which seems to have a power and a grip which may get hold of a good many of us who at present are just spectating. A move of God that no one was safe, no one could hide, no one could doubt, no one could talk other than be in the presence of the Lord. The Lord is still moving today, church. This is the third point. 
that when the spirit of the Lord fell on this town in Ephesus, the eyes were open to the spiritual battle that they were living in. Verse 13 says this, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And in the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Naked and wounded. You just, have you read what I've just read? This is a group of Jews who actually within the culture, in a Jewish culture, are actually doing what they shouldn't be doing, which is going down mysticism, going down exorcism, going down magic. And this is like a huge, huge no-no. But they had heard, obviously, that the ministry of Jesus was you can cast out demons. And they'd heard Paul could do it too. And all they had to do was use the same name. I just need to say the word Jesus and demons are going to come flying out. And we know what happens. The demon turned to them and said, I know Paul and I know Jesus, but I have no idea who you are. And you're about to never forget this experience for the rest of your life. What, do we, what, what have we just really quickly learned here? We've learned here that there are demons in people. We've also learned that the power of God is not magic, it's not formulaic. His name is power and it's the difference between a magician and the gospel. Because one requires surrender and the other doesn't. See, the sons of Sceva, they adopted the name of Jesus without actually knowing Jesus, actually making him Lord and Savior over their lives and wanted the benefits of Jesus, but did not want the intimacy of Jesus. And church, would you agree that actually that practice is here today? That actually we could fall into the temptation of wanting the benefits of the cross, wanting the benefits of the resurrection life, but actually choosing to bypass the relationship that Jesus has for every single one of us this morning. That he doesn't just love us, but he wants to get to know us. This, this part is not to create fear in us. It's actually through us to, to, for all of us to recognize the authority that we carry this morning. Because power is the ability to act. Listen to this. Authority gives the permission to act. Authority, sorry, power is the ability to act, but authority is the permission to act. And we are told from Jesus that we have been given all authority over the demonic. And that if we surrender our lives to Jesus... 
then our name can be where Paul was when we bind and we cast out the demonic out of someone. That spiritual warfare is real. That we are living right now in a war and a battle. And that truth separates what is of God and is not of God. It's the sword of the spirit. And there was a blindness on the sons of Sceva that they did not know what they were doing, how they were doing it, or even why they were doing it. And the result of it is that they were not only beaten, they left naked. What would that look like? I believe this is why we need to, as a church, pray for one of the gifts that we have been given from Jesus is the discerning of spirits. We can pray for it. You can pray for it. It's that actually we as a people get so familiar of who Jesus is and the presence of Jesus. And, you know, that you could take the three things of the kingdom, righteousness, joy, and peace. We saturate ourselves so much in those kingdom realities that he paid for that we can live in is that we get so saturated by those truths that anything that is outside of those three, we know instantly it's not of Jesus. We just know. And we have authority to bind it in the name of Jesus and it stops operating right there because of the authority that Jesus gave us. Amen? And this is it. And I just did say, but I'll say it again. Intimacy with the Lord is something that we need to become comfortable with as followers of Jesus. I don't know if I speak to guys in this room and they think, well, hey, we might have feminized that word. Well, if, if that's what you feel, you need to get over it because we're called the bride. And the intimacy with Jesus looks like you doing his first priority. You give him your best. You talk to him. You pray with him. You, you, you seek after him. For us to get to know not just what he says, but get to know his ways. And then the fourth one, this is where it gets really cool. I mean, the whole thing's cool. I'm not like, this is such a fun story to go through. But verse 17 says, and this is my fourth, fourth point of repentance and discipleship. After, well, let me read this. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus. So what just happened to these Jews that were using Jesus' name but did not have the authority or the intimacy? This story got out through the whole town, both Jew and Greek, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Which what we're saying here is that the fear of the Lord gripped that city so much. Because you hear, you see the demonic saying that we know Jesus and we know Paul, but we don't know who you are. They got beaten, they got their clothes taken from them, and then the whole city woke up to the fact that there is a spiritual battle going on, and I think Jesus is real now. 
18, verse 18 says, also many of those who were now believers, okay, hear this, were now believers. Now, this could either be people that have just given their lives to Jesus, or these are people in the synagogue. These are people in the marketplace. These are people that have been following Jesus, either for a short time or a long time. It says they came confessing and divulging their practices, which here you is what's happening is the fear of the Lord over a city is so great and so tangible that there is nowhere to run and hide. And so what is everyone doing? They're confessing their sin. They are confessing the things that they have never said before or that they didn't, they thought was okay, but the fear of the Lord was bringing conviction to what was going on in their life because it was so wrong and the Lord was bringing it to light and here we see a wave of repentance. Now, verse 19, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. If you were to take that 50,000 pieces of silver, it's very hard. I tried did my research. That people say it's either 1 million or 5 million of value. So somewhere in between. Now, just think about this. 1 to 5 million pounds were thrown into the fire. And now just let this sink in. Jesus was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. The power of God, the reality of God, the majesty of God, the, 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 the lordship of God, the, the grace of God, every attribute of the Lord was hovering over this city and it led everyone to repentance. It led everyone in the house of God and out of the house of God. Think about that. That the fear of the Lord came upon every single person in one city. A city-wide repentance happened and they built a fire and they threw into the fire all of the idols, the books, anything that was not of God went into the fire. It's interesting they didn't give it away. They didn't sell it. They threw it into the fire to be absolutely destroyed. What a beautiful picture of repentance that it burns everything. It burns, it burns everything that is against the Lord. Now, book burning throughout history has been used as a symbol of something evil in the past. But see this. This is a book burning being driven by the individual and it being spirit-led. The government are not asking them to do this. This is the Holy Spirit leading everybody to get rid of sin in their life. And then verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Acts 19, I believe for us in this house, 
is a picture and an a anchor for us as a body to root and anchor ourselves to when we talk about the renewal of this city. That when we talk about revival coming on us and everyone else. Now, when I made that, um, that difference, we actually sang it earlier in the song, Great Are You, Lord. There's a part of it of singing of that all will sing. Great are you, Lord. All. And that I would, I would love us, church, to recognize that I think the word revival probably brings some disappointment to some people here. It may even bring some frustration. It may bring some unbelief. It may bring just, again, this is just another buzzword. Um, that we use or certain churches or denomination use. But what, cannot, we, we, what we cannot walk away from is that in Acts 19, we see that when the word is preached, when discipleship happens, unusual miracles happen, the Lord starts to move closer, move not even just on his people, but on us as a city. This should raise faith in the room for all of us to grab hold of what, not only what the Lord is doing on us, but what he's doing in all of us individually as we are being spread out into our city and and places where some of us don't live in Bath, but you are being sent out by the Spirit to go and release the kingdom where you are. It wasn't Paul, this revival was not based around a man. This wasn't based around, well, the revival happened because Paul was there. We read that the whole region heard the word of the Lord because of the people that Paul taught. So it was a common goal. It was every single person. James said it earlier, the Nehemiah, every single person stood at the end of their garden and they built the wall that was in front of them. Every single person believed the word of the Lord and in their faith, things happened which gives us the confidence and and not only the confidence but the word to stand on is that when we say father would you bring renewal to a city what we realize is what we're saying is kingdom of god come let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and even just to make it really simple when we go home for lunch today and before you eat Give thanks for the food and acknowledge that Jesus is sat at the table with you and with that authority, bless the city that you are living in. Because Paul for two years just kept proclaiming the kingdom of God and the principality and stronghold over that city fell because he was consistent and he didn't stop. This is, the, this is the encouragement this morning for all of us is to keep doing what God is asking you to do. Because what you over there is being asked to do is connected to what you over there is being asked to do because it is all for the city's advancement, for God's glory and Holy Spirit to fall on this city. This, this Acts 19, like, let it haunt your heart. 
let it go so deep within you that you know you can't turn away from saying, well, there's so much sin in this city, God cannot reach it. Read Acts 19. Have faith for where God has put you because he will use you if you surrender to him. You know, what happens when a revival happens is that sleepy Christians begin to wake up. People get saved. You know, repentance happens. It comes over a a city of our acknowledgement that we need God. Hunger. Hunger is an attribute of revival because it is the place of God. We need you more than ever. Does anybody feel like that this morning? That we look, that wherever we are, if we look at our friends, people who don't know the goodness of God, they don't know Jesus, does it move you? Does it, does it pr- provoke a reaction? We read earlier in Athens, Paul walked around the city in the marketplace and he was so grieved by the idolatry, not because they weren't turning up a church at 10.30 and they weren't tithing. He was grieved because he saw the oppression and bondage that the people of Athens were under by these idols. That the enemy had got them in its grip and it was his mission to remove them from Satan's grip and move them into the kingdom of God. This is what I'm talking about when we say we want to see renewal on our city church. Is that we have to be moved by what moves God. And it's people. This is all about people. Seeing the move of God like this, like if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, this stuff should make your mouth water. Oh my goodness. Who wants to see that over our city? Who wants to see that over our city? It takes a response that's not British. I'm really sorry. And again, I'm not trying to hype us up. I'm here to point to what God has given us as a weapon to stand on, that he is moving over us so that he can move over a city. I said it before, is where it gets really quiet, but the first thing that Jesus needed to do to his disciples when he came back is he rebuked them of their unbelief. And you cannot read Acts 19 without acknowledging my part to play in that. The, like, I mean, I was a mess this morning worshiping with you. A mess because the Lord is moving on us. But I'm thinking, Lord, if we could get every single person in all the churches in this city, that would be amazing, Right? that there would be one church in this city saying in unison and in harmony, great are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord. All earth is groaning for the sons of God to be manifested. We sang, and the last song that we sang, um, you want to go up, Andy? Thanks. 
we sang a verse we, in uh, I Survey the Cross. It said, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. I believe that that when we talk about revival and we talk about the Lord coming upon a city, it starts with us first. Do you guys agree? And with that, what it does is it actually, for us to sing that, you know, I've joked about this before. In England, more so, I mean, it kind of happened in America too, but in England especially, we could together sing Dance, dance, everybody dance. And in England, we won't dance. We'll just sit there. Yeah? We'll just agree with the words, but we won't do it. It's the same in America. But I, it, it comes a point where the words that we're saying are not words for us to agree with. They're actually words for us to work out, walk out. You know, the, the, what we've been given, to, to walk it out. And... If we've sang all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. In light of Acts 19, we see that there was a repentance that came upon the church and on the city. And I think this morning is a great opportunity to sacrifice anything that we have individually or corporately believed that revival won't happen in our time. Amen? There was a prayer that Evan Roberts would pray. And he would, he would say, there was a prayer that was known from the Welsh revival that Evan Roberts would pray under when he, when he, would, when he would pray. And this man, Evan Roberts, who went to Bible school at 24 was just so overcome by the spirit of God that in class he would fall on the floor weeping weeping and weeping and weeping and the 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 university and the school they kicked him out and they they the doc sent him to a doctor's and the doctors just made up a diagnosis and called it religious dysphoria or something they didn't know what to do and the, the words that Evan would pray under the weight of the glory of God, under the fear of God in meetings would be, bend me, bend me. It was bend me, God, as if like saying that he wanted to bend, God, bend me to fit into the will of you, Lord. Bend my life so it looks like yours. Bend my will so it becomes your will, Lord. Bend me. Put me under pressure that I am, I fit with you. And the, the bending and the counting things, all the vain things, throwing them on the altar again, it, it still applies to us this morning, church, that, that we have to recognize that we have been given all authority and th- Bath is waiting for us to stand in that and to see the move of God. It was when someone pretended to be a follower of Jesus and they got, and as I learned in Canada, a saying, you got beaten up. They got, they got their lunch given to them. 
they got handed back with no clothes and they were beaten up because the power of the Lord will not be mocked, but they saw that there is power in the name of Jesus. And a whole city was in fear and they repented of their sin. If you want to pray a dangerous prayer, just say, bend me. Father, would you bend us? What we've read in Acts 19, Lord, Father, would it change us? Would it haunt us to know that we can't run away from what you've done and what you've said? And that we owe this city a move of God where everyone says, great are you, Lord. You put your hand on your heart. Father, Father, would you bend us? Father, would you bend us for your will? Father, may we read these words and may it fall on believing hearts. Hearts that believe your word and that we acknowledge, Lord, that we have all authority because of what you did on the cross for us, Jesus. Father, we want to see verse 20 so that the word of the Lord continue to increase and prevail mightily in our day. Father, that your name would spread widely over our, over our city, over our towns. For, for Lord, for whoever is hearing this, where you have planted them, that the word of the Lord would spread through them and that we would grow in power in the name of Jesus. Amen.